0: So, we've been doing a Summer of Moses here, and uh, last two weeks, this week and uh, next weekend, and then after that, I, the way I said things last week or a couple weeks ago was obviously a little confusing. Some of you thought I was on holidays already, but I'm preaching this weekend and next weekend, and then after that, I'll be on holidays. So, the next uh, two weeks will be the last in the Moses series, and I don't know about you, but I've been very encouraged. Uh, myself personally going through this series on Moses, just studying all the stuff that Moses went through. He was a regular, ordinary human being just like we are. And so to see him as he goes through life and the stages and the process that God had him on and and, uh, how he coped with trials and tribulations has been really encouraging to me. I hope it has been for you as well. And just to briefly review, we've been looking at kind of four stages that Moses went through. And today we're going to start to move a bit beyond that now. But just to review again uh, very briefly, we've looked at this progression in Moses' character. and I think we should, we should all be really encouraged by this progression. Uh, God doesn't take any of us to this place of super holiness or spirituality in one step. And, uh, and so he takes us through a process. And, and if we'll allow him, he'll take us quicker. Or sometimes if we resist him, it'll be slower. But, uh, but he took Moses through this progression. And so we've seen this progression and growth in Moses' character from, from kind of cocky and self-reliant. Uh, to disillusioned, and then on to to, uh, grudgingly obedient. That third stage really encourages me because Moses didn't just go from disillusioned to wholehearted in one jump, right? He went through this stage of grudgingly obedient, and he was full of all kinds of compromise and fear and and doubt. And then in the last couple of, uh, of weeks of this series, we've looked at how Moses finally got to this place where God wanted him to get to was, he got to this place where he was dependent on God. And, and what is dependence on God? Because every Christian would say, oh yeah, I'm dependent on God. We should all be dependent on God. What does dependency on God look like? Well, we've seen it in Moses' life. Dependency on God looks like when you have a problem, when you have trouble, when you have a big decision to make. Uh, your first gut reaction is not to just go ahead and make a decision to the best of your ability or to, or to, you know, or to get a bunch of other people to help you make a decision, even though it's good to, to get advice and wise counsel. Certainly, no problem with that. But a a spiritually mature person, a dependent person, is a person who your first gut reaction when you run into trouble, when you run into a trial, when you have a big decision to make is you get alone with God for yourself. And you wait on the Lord and get in the presence of the Lord. And that's what spiritual maturity is. And that's the place that Moses got. And I've been showing you over the last couple of messages, story after story after story. Once Moses gets to stage four the Bible becomes a broken record because over and over and over and over again, Moses runs into trouble, he cries out to the Lord. He gets along with God and he talks to God and he listens to God and he spends time in God's presence and that's what dependence looks like. And that's what spiritual maturity looks like. And all of us as Christians, we need to get to that place. Okay, spiritual maturity, a lot of people uh, nowadays, they, they, we just think, I mean, we wouldn't consciously think this, maybe or write it down on a test, but when we think spiritual maturity, we think if a person's been a Christian for a long time, and they believe all the right things about, you know, did Jesus die on the cross, and, 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 and for your sins, and heaven and hell, and we think if you believe all the right things about these, these important doctrines, and they are important. I mean, what, what we believe about doctrine, doctrine is hugely important, but we think that a person is spiritually, spiritually mature just because they've been a Christian for years, and they believe some right things. no. Spiritual maturity is a person who knows how to do business with God, who walks with God. That's spiritual maturity. Someone who knows in a crisis how to go to God for themselves. They don't just get 150 other people praying for them, but they don't actually pray themselves. They know how to get into the presence of God and get God's perspective and his hope and his life flows into them. And and then they can walk that out. That's, that's what spiritual maturity looks like, and that's where Moses got to that place in his life, and it's a really wonderful thing to, to watch it play out. If you, if you read through the Moses story, which I would encourage you to do as we've been going through this series, uh, you'll see that play out over and over again. Anyway, what I want to do today is I want to look at something just a little bit different. I want to I go, uh, uh, you know, take a step beyond now, dependence on God, and, and I want to look at, at a really amazing characteristic of Moses that just, it blows my mind. It really blows my mind, and, and the characteristic is perseverance. Um, and I want to just look at, that's what we're all going to look at this, this morning. Moses had an incredible, incredible ability to persevere. To persevere through long periods of time. I mean, perseverance isn't something you do for short periods of time, right? Um, perseverance is something, but he, Moses had this astonishing ability to persevere through long, long periods of intense pressure criticism, opposition, I mean, you name it, trauma, uh, discouragement, fear. He had the ability to persevere through long, long periods of time of this kind of pressure and stress and overwhelming workload and come out on the other side and not only would he not be broken, he wouldn't be worn out, he wouldn't be on the verge of a breakdown, he'd still be just as strong as ever. I'm going to show you that in just a second. He had this ability to persevere to persevere, and the stress and the pressure over long periods didn't break them. And I'm going to show you that in Scripture in a whole bunch of places today, but before we do, I just, again, I want you just to to feel this a bit, because, again, many of these stories about Moses, and as we read in the Bible, as I've been saying over and over again in this series, is, is, uh, we just glaze over these stories, and they're sort of two-dimensional to us. We don't feel them. So I tell you, you know, Moses was able to persevere, and you all nod, because you all kind of know, it's a famous story, so you know he went through a bunch of stuff, and you say, oh yeah, he persevered. Okay, no, no, it wasn't, oh yeah, he persevered, okay? It, this is unbelievable what he went through, okay? Think about this for a little bit. Let's just try and put ourselves in Moses' uh, shoes for just a moment here, okay? Forty years. Forty years, not four years, not eight years. You know, most of our presidents and prime ministers in, in, in the Western world, you know, they're, they're leaders of their country for, you know, four to ten years, depending on the, on the country. That's sort of normal, Okay? Moses, 40 years, okay, he is the number one leader. And by number one leader, I mean, he didn't have this big cabinet and all sort of stuff. He was basically, for lots of this, the only guy. Now, at one point, he does do some delegation. He's got 70 leaders under him. But he is the guy leading several million people. Okay, several million people and for 40 years he's leading them and all their animals and everything else, he's leading them around and around in a desert where there's no food and very little water. Now think about that kind of stress. Okay, we don't have, we don't have a parallel of any world leader in the world today where they are by themselves really carrying the burden of several million people and not just, you know, leading them, but it's a wealthy country and everybody's going to eat, whether they do a bad job of leading or, or a good job, you know, everybody's going to eat and, and have a job and all sort of stuff. Moses has the daily burden for 40 years. He has the daily burden. He's getting up every morning. What are these people going to eat today? What are they going to drink? I mean, he's got just this responsibility, huge for these several million people, and all of these people, these millions of people, look to him, where are we gonna go next? What are we gonna do? So that's a, that's an ama- that's, that's a lot of pressure. And, and then in addition to that, I mean, these aren't even you know, super easy people to lead, right? I mean, this isn't like Moses, you know, he's getting thank you cards every day. Hey, brother, you're doing such a good job leading us. I mean, you're such a good effort. I mean, we just so much appreciate you. He doesn't have that. He doesn't have, he's all by himself, and he goes through withering criticism over and over and over again. I mean, his whole 40 years is wave after wave after wave of criticism and grumbling. Why did you lead us out of Egypt? Why did you bring us here? We're just about to starve. And sometimes they even wanted to kill him. They would pick up stones. They wanted, to, they wanted to stone him. There were mutinies, times when groups of people would rise up who would want to take the leadership away from him. So he went through 40 years where every day he's carrying the burden of where are they going to eat, what are they going to drink. He's leading these people. He's literally carrying them. And you'll, you'll see it in a prayer I'm going to show you uh, uh, today of Moses. That he literally feels like he's carrying these people on his shoulders. But not only is he carrying that burden, he is going through withering criticism. And any of you here today who has ever faced criticism... Because you were trying to do good God's work or whatever. You were just working your best and, and trying to do a good job. And you faced criticism. We haven't faced anything like him. But you know that criticism can really hurt. It can wear you down. And he went through 40 years of it. 40 years. And so I'm just talking with the internal stuff. And I haven't even brought in yet the fact, the external problems he had when savage people groups. I mean savage people groups like the Amalekites. Vicious. They would attack the Israelites to destroy them. He had to deal with all that. And in all these 40 years, you know, he never had a sabbatical. He never, you know, took a month off and went to the Bahamas to just sort of kick up his feet. And I mean, he was in a day-to-day grind in this unforgiving environment of a wilderness where there's no food and very little water. And he's got these several million people. He's carrying them and they're criticizing him. They've got attacks from the outside. He goes through 40 years of that. And as I was thinking about this, I mean, 40 years is a long, 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 long time to be a leader. But to be a leader in, in conditions like that, that is just astonishing. And I was thinking to myself, I mean, I don't experience anything. I mean, to call what I experienced from time to time pressure is, is, is wrong, to use the same word even, as what he went through. Because what I experienced in my life isn't anything on that level of what he experienced. And this week I was trying to think of, I wonder what I would look like, I wonder what some of you would look like after six months of that kind of workload and stress and pressure and criticism. What would we look like after six months or a year, never mind 40 years? I read a, I actually read an article, very, very interesting article this past week and uh, it was an article about how much stress American presidents go through. Because that, that's a stressful job, right? Any world leader or leader of a country or nation, that's a stressful job. But particularly, you know, an American president, that's a, that's a big job. And in this newspaper article, they had before and after pictures of a whole bunch of presidents. A very fascinating article. And so for a whole bunch of the last uh, uh, few presidents, they'd have a, a picture. Here was it, what this guy looked like when he came into office. And then here is what he looked like four years later, or, you know, in a case where they won two terms, here's four, and here's eight years later. And it was absolutely shocking to see these pictures, just a whole row. And with all the guys, it was the exact same thing. They would come into, the, into office, they would look, you know, relative, whatever age they came in, middle-aged, and kind of healthy, and, and young, and lots of vitality. I mean, that's why they were running for president in the first place, you got to have a lot of energy. And four years later, they look 20 years older. It's crazy. They look decades older. I mean, they just wither right in front of your eyes. And the whole point of the article was that the stress these guys are under really affects their bodies. It wears them out. And, uh, I mean, we have a saying about that, right? I mean, we often say, you know, stress will take years off a person's life. Or that, you know, that stressful job will take years off a person's life. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, so, and we see it happening, right? Now, the interesting thing is Moses went through 40 years. These guys go through four, eight years, Moses went through 40 years, and he had way more pressure than he did. He'd have, he'd have computers to help him, you know, do all the administrative work and, and all sorts of stuff. It was, it was him. And in those days, you know, they could stone you. They don't stone people now. In, well, at least in our countries, right? And, uh, and Moses went through all this sort of stuff, and the thing that I find really amazing is at the end of it all, okay, after 40 years, the Bible tells us he came out of it just as strong as ever, He was full of energy, he was full of vitality, he was not worn out or broken down. I'm going to show you this right now. Deuteronomy chapter 34 is the last uh, chapter in the book of Deuteronomy, and it tells us about the last day of Moses' life. In the last day of Moses' life, uh, God took him up on a mountain on the east side of the Jordan River. So that he could look into the promised land. The last thing before he would die, he could look in. And again, and I don't have time to get into it, but for those of you, you kind of know the story. There, he's not allowed to go into the promised land himself because there was an incident there where he disobeyed God and, he, and they needed water from a rock and he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. He disobeyed. And so God said, you're not allowed to go into the promised land, Okay. Because of his disobedience. So on the last day of his life now, he goes up on this mountain and he gets to look into the promised land uh, right before he dies. And, now, and that's what's happening in Deuteronomy 34. And in verse, chapter, uh, verse 7 of this chapter, we get a description of Moses' condition just before he dies. Okay? Now remember, this is after 40 years. I mean, remember, like, an American president will age decades in just a few years on the job. Moses went... 40 years. I mean, you would think this guy would be completely on the edge of a nervous breakdown. And I want to show you 34 verse 7. This is Moses after 40 years and that kind of pressure, intense workload, overwhelming stress and criticism. This is what he was like at the end of it all. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated, okay? Okay? 120 years old, first of all, and his eye was undimmed, his vigor was unabated. Uh, 120 years old is pretty old, in case you hadn't noticed, okay? I don't know anyone who's 120 years old. The oldest person I know is Mr. McAllister, who comes here on Saturday nights, and he's 90-something, okay? But uh, 120 years old is a long time. You would think 40 years in a job like that, wandering around the wilderness, would kill a guy a long time before 120. He went right to 120, and it says his eye was undimmed. His senses were still all there. He didn't need glasses. He didn't need a hearing aid. I mean, one of the sad things that, that most of us have to go through is as we get older, right? Our eyes don't work as well. Our hearing starts to go right as we get older. You know, uh, people have to talk louder and louder sometimes to us, right? And, uh, but Moses didn't have that. His senses were still fully all there. And then it says that his vigor was unabated. I like how the NLT the NLT puts it. Look at here. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was as strong as ever. In other words, if it wouldn't have been for his disobedience thing with the water you know, and a rock, if it wouldn't have been for his disobedience there, he could have kept going. 40 years! He's not on the verge of a, of, of a nervous breakdown. He's not worn out. He's not hard. He's not bitter. He's as strong as ever ever Now I don't know about you but I would like that How many of you would like that To be able to go through intense workload stress discouragement to carry these burdens but at the end of your life to be stronger than ever inside and out And that's what I want to look at today I want to look at the secret how did Moses persevere how did he stand up under that pressure? How did he stand up under the criticism and not break down? But before I do that, I want, I want to do one other thing first because I want to make sure you don't misunderstand me. Because uh, Moses obviously was an amazing overcomer. At 120 years old, he could have just kept right on going. He wasn't tired out. He wasn't looking for a long sabbatical. He was still going strong. But when I say that he's an overcomer and that he was full of vigor, some of you might get the wrong impression of what I'm saying. And you might think to yourself, okay, Moses was an overcomer. You know, he was, he was his victor. He was strong as ever. And what you're going to make the mistake of thinking is that during those 40 years in the desert, you know, every day he just, he was in victory. He was, he was going strong. He was happy on the inside. And because that's what our, our idea of an overcomer is sometimes, I think. And you might not then be able to identify with Moses. And you might think, well, I don't always feel that way. I'm not an overcomer like Moses. And I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand. When I say Moses was an overcomer and he triumphed and he was just as strong as ever at the end, I don't mean that in the middle there he never had, he never had intense times of discouragement, despair, self-doubt, or fear. He most certainly did. And I'm going to show you a prayer in just a moment. He most certainly had many, many times... Of intense discouragement, intense frustration, and intense feelings of being overwhelmed. When I say that he was an overcomer, and at the end of it, he came out stronger than he was uh, uh, before, I don't mean that he never felt the pressure. I mean that the pressure never broke him. And I, I want to show you this. I'm going to show you my, my favorite prayer in the Bible, at least for this week. Um, and I just love this prayer, and mostly because it's kind of funny, actually, to, to read it. It wouldn't have been funny for Moses. But uh, Numbers 11, verse 1, because I want to show you that at the end, if we step back and look, 40 years, he comes out at the end, he is a victor, he's not broken, he's not worn out. But in the middle, you're going to see there's many, many intense valleys for him. How did he persevere through them? Well, let's just look at one of these valleys, Numbers 11, verse 1, and the background here is that the Israelites are complaining again, okay? Broken record, some things just happen over and over again with both us and them, In Numbers 11, verse 1, let me read this to you. I'm going to show you his prayer because I want to show you that he had deep struggles during the 40 years. Okay? 11, verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Okay? Okay, wow. So that's not good. And God was upset about the grumbling. So let's keep going here. Verse 2. Then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So, okay, good job, right? They complained. That's not good. The fire of the Lord came down and burned up the outside parts of the camp. That's not good. But they repented. They cried out to Moses. Moses cried out to the Lord. By the way, notice again what I, what I talked about in the last two messages before this. Whenever Moses has a problem, what does he do? He prays to God. Broken record. It's all over in the scriptures over and over again. But anyway, they cry out, they repent, Moses you know, calls out to God, and the fire stops coming down. We think, happy ending, right? What a good story. Very next verse, okay? The smoke is still coming up from some of the tents on the outside of the camp, all right? <laughs> now, the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat. Now, can you believe this? Okay? Can you believe this? They just saw fire came down. Some of their relatives died. They repented. Moses prayed. The fire stops, but it's still hot. They haven't cleaned up all the ashes yet. And right away, they're complaining again, oh, that we had meat. It's right at this point that I would be huddled over looking for lightning bolts to be coming flashing out of the sky at any minute, right? I mean, that's, that's a really freaky thing to be doing. Well, let's keep, keep reading here. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. And I want you to just think about that last line. I mean, that is, think about the audacity of complaining about manna. God has rescued these people out of hideous bondage in Egypt. They don't remember the slavery, they just remember the free food now. But God rescues them out of hideous bondage in Egypt, which was for their benefit. I mean, they couldn't stand it in Egypt. It was horrible there. He rescues them out of there. They, then they have to travel through this wilderness where there's no food in this wilderness. God miraculously provides miracle food for them called manna and to keep them alive. And they have the audacity to complain about his provision in keeping them alive. I mean, that's pretty bad, Right? Now, you'll have to remember what I talked about two weeks ago. I don't want to do too much here again now, but at the risk of deep beating a dead horse, I want to just hit this again briefly. We, we read a story like this and we just think, those Israelites. Why would they complain? But I wonder how many of us here are doing the exact same thing right now. I wonder how many of us here right now are actually complaining about the provision of God in our lives. You need a job, right, to feed yourself and your family? God gives you a job, sets you up. A few months later, you're complaining about the job because you don't like the work. You're complaining about your boss because you don't like him. And I'm sure you have a hundred good reasons why you have to complain about him, because I'm sure he's the, the worst jerk in the world. Yes, of course. Has nothing to do with you. It's, it's all him. Yeah, okay. But you complain about him, the very provision of God in your life. How is that different from what they did? How is it different? You, you, you really badly wanted a kid or a spouse or a house or something else. I don't want to make any ou- more house rhymes here, but, uh, but whatever it is, you had these desires that you really wanted or you prayed for, whatever, and God blessed you with them, and now there's challenges in your life because of that, and we grumble and complain about that, and I say, how is that any different than what they did? God was taking care of them. He's providing for them. They complained about the provision. We do the same thing. We're no different. And when we read these stories, we need to not do this subconsciously. When we read these stories about the Israelites complaining, what should happen is the fear of the Lord should grip our hearts as we think about all the negative words and grumbling that have come out of our mouths about people and work and bosses and things like that because we're no different. And the wrath of God against these things is no different today. But anyway, this is about Moses and what he's feeling. Because in this message, I, I, I want to show you that this, he's an overcomer. But what I'm showing you right now is the fact that he was an overcomer doesn't mean he was happy all the time. He had many, many, many deep lows in those 40 years. Many deep lows. And this is one of them. Verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Okay? Everyone at the door of his tent. And I mean, just that picture. They all go to the entrance of their tents and they're all weeping. And I just it seems like a funny picture to me, and, but not a good picture either, right? And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. So that's scary. And Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, and again, notice here, Mo, what is Moses doing here? Talking to God. This is what maturity is, people. How many of us actually do this? But whenever Moses had a problem, get alone and talk to God. That's what i got to do. Moses said to the Lord... And now here's the prayer. My favorite prayer in the Bible, at least for this week. Okay, here we go. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Those of you here today who are in ministry, of whatever kind, you're a volunteer, your staff, you're, you're ministry, you know, outside this church or in this church, whatever. But those of you who are minister, you're a cell leader or something, I wonder how many of us have ever prayed this prayer or felt this prayer. God, what did I ever do that you gave me these people? They don't listen to me. I mean, I, I know some of you cell leaders. I've, I've heard this before. They don't listen to me. I tell them to do this. I tell them to do it the next week. I tell them. They never do it. You know what? Why? Why do I even bother? These are just hopeless people. What have I done? Why that you would deal with me like this? I mean, he's just so exasperated, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 12. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me? He's kind of ranting now, okay. Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers. Where am I going to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I'm not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. And here comes my favorite part of this prayer. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight. Okay, this is the prayer of every exasperated and worn out pastor. Lord, if you have any mercy in your heart at all, just kill me now. (laughs) I mean, if you love me at all, if I find any favor in your sight, take my life because I can't hack this anymore. That's Moses' prayer here, okay? Okay, Moses had many moments like this in the desert. Many, many moments. His 40 years in the desert were not, you know, uh, rainbows and sunshine and happiness and lollipops and all this stuff. It wasn't that at all. He had many moments where, right here, I mean, I've never prayed that prayer. I've never been that low. I think I'd be a little scared to pray that prayer. But, I mean, he is despairing of life. He hates what's going on. He doesn't like his job. He can't stand the people. I mean, he's at a real bad place in his life. And I could show you many other examples. He had many times in those 40 years where he was in a bad place. So the fact that he was an overcomer does not mean that he never went down into deep valleys like this. He went into many of them. And that just makes me even more fascinated by Deuteronomy 34, 7. Because he went through many of these kinds of experiences. Many of these. And yet, at the end of it, he never quits. He never stops doing right. I mean, he has some, you know, you know he disobeys God here and there. I'm not saying he was perfect. But he never stops following God and obeying him and, and doing right. And at the end of it, he comes out stronger than ever. How can you go through many experiences like this and come out at the other end and not be worn out? That's what I'm fascinated about. I mean, I'm not fascinated by the person who goes 40 years and it's all just easy and they come out stronger on the other end. Well, of course. He didn't go through it all easy. He went through really tough stress, pressure, criticism, and opposition, and all the rest, and trauma... Times when he even despaired about life. And at the end of that, he came out and it says he could have just kept right on going. Stronger than he ever was before. So what was Moses' secret? How do you walk in the valley of the shadow of death like that over and over and over again in the pressure cooker that he was in for 40 years and not be blown to bits by it, at, at the very least emotionally, if not physically? And I think the answer... Uh, we can find the answer. There's a passage of scripture I want to take you to now. And it is in Exodus, it's two chapters long. It's Exodus chapters 33 and 34. And if you want to understand the, the life of Moses, I believe that these two chapters, if, if you're going to, you know, if, if you're going to distill the whole story of Moses down to, you know, one chunk, and of, and of course that's impossible. There's many stories I and mean, we can't get rid of them all. But if you had to distill it to one chunk, this would be the chunk. This passage is, is, I believe, the central passage of the Moses story for understanding Moses' life. In Exodus 33 and 34, it's like we get to look under the hood and we get to see what makes Moses tick. We get to see what his core values are. We get to see what his habits are. And we get to see how he lived his life during those 40 years. And this isn't just my opinion, by the way. Exodus 33 and 34, uh, the Apostle Paul takes up a whole chapter in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 speaking about these passages. And the Old Testament and the New Testament have dozens of quotes and allusions that come back to Exodus chapters 33 and 34. So it's not just my opinion that these two chapters are sort of central to the Moses life. That's scriptural, okay? And uh, so I want to take you now because I want to show you the heart. How did Moses go through all these valleys of the shadow of death? And come out on the other end, and he's just as strong as he ever was before. I'm going to show you now. I'm going to start it in verse 7 of Exodus 33. Here's what it says. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Now, first thing I want you to notice here is uh, this is something Moses used to do all the time. Okay, this is, a lot of the stories, this thing you have to understand, from Exodus to Deuteronomy, a lot of the stories about Moses are one-time stories, right? They're one-time stories. Uh, You know, the the children of Israel were over here, and this happened, Moses prayed to God, God told him to do this, so he did this. The next time they were over here, Moses prayed to God, God told him to do that, so he did that. And there's sort of all, there's a lot of one-time stories, In this passage here, we're not seeing a one-time story. This is what I said. We're getting a look under the hood of Moses' life to see what makes this guy tick. We're seeing this is what he always did. Wherever the Israelites went, this is what he would do. The first thing he would do is set up a tent of meeting. Why? Because he knew that the people needed to meet with God. We're We're not looking here at, you know, this was one thing for one situation. We're looking at a core value of Moses' life. Everywhere they went... I'm going to set up a tent of meeting because these people need to meet with God. Keep going here, verse 8. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, oh, he didn't just set up the tent of meeting for everybody else. He went there himself. Whenever, not just once, not in certain situations, whenever Moses went out to the tent, he was regularly going out to the tent. All the people would rise up and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Verse 9, When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the or turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now, again, remember what are we looking at here? I'm, I want to find the answer as to how Moses could go through all this junk over and over and over again for 40 years straight and come out on the other end and not be broken. And we're we're getting a look under the hood here. This is a habit of Moses' life. He would constantly go in the tent to make to meet with Yahweh face to face. Now, I'm going to jump to another passage in in chapter 34 right away. I'm going to show you what happened to him in that tent. Before we go there, I just want to notice one thing. Just rabbit trail here for just a moment. I want you to notice Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua is Moses' second in command. And I want you to notice a couple things about this passage. First of all, how does Moses disciple, disciple his second in command? He takes him with him into the presence of God. This is Moses' leadership training. We have all this leadership training stuff. We've got to have leadership training stuff. I love that. I mean, we're doing that here at South and all sorts sort of stuff. But ultimately, you want to raise up leaders, you bring them into the presence of God. That's what he did. Hey, Joshua, leadership training time. I'm going to the tent of meeting. Joshua would go in there with him and it says when Moses would leave, Joshua would stay. By the way, it's no accident that when Joshua took over for Israel, what happened? He, he remained godly and Israel was blessed. Joshua was a very successful leader. It's also no coincidence that after Joshua died, the Israelites went right into a ditch. It says that in Joshua and Judges, after Joshua died, the moment every, all the leaders died who had known Joshua personally, Israel completely left God. I'll tell you why. They no longer had a leader who was grounded in a tent of meeting with God. So Moses, when he raises up a leader, Joshua, let's go. They go in with God. And Joshua stays there with God after Moses is gone. And that's why after Moses comes down, what a great succession plan. Joshua takes the mantle and they keep on going. Unfortunately, there wasn't a third generation in that tent there because after that, they left it. But anyway, what happened to Moses in that tent? Because we're examining the question, how does Moses come out of all this junk stronger than ever? Well, I want to show you what happened to Moses in those face-to-face meetings with Yahweh. Exodus 34, starting in verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Okay? now some of you are thinking, well, that's Mount Sinai, not the tent of meeting. Just wait, we'll get to the end of this passage. It happened whenever he met with God. It wasn't, his face wasn't shining because of Mount Sinai, it was because he had been talking with God. His face didn't shine because of a tent, an old tent. It's because he met with God in that tent. But when Moses came down, he didn't know, he didn't have to work it up. But when he came down from talking with God, something had happened to him because his face was shining. Next verse. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Verse 34, whenever... In other words, this wasn't just one time. It wasn't like a one-time freaky event. One time Moses had this strange prayer time with God where God decided to make his face glow. No, whenever, whenever Moses went in. So now it's time with the tent of meeting. So it didn't just happen when he went on Mount Sinai. It didn't have to do with the place. It had to do with the who. Whenever Moses went in, speaking of the tent of meeting, before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Okay? Now let's just think about this for just a moment. Because again, we're asking the question, how does Moses come through all this junk and come out here on the other side of it stronger than ever? We're starting to touch on it, aren't we? He goes into this tent his face isn't shining, he's got all kinds of problems. He comes out, though his face is shining. It's literally shining. And he doesn't have to work it up. He doesn't go in a tent and go, mm, I gotta come out with a glowing face. That's no, he doesn't even know it's there. He goes in the presence of God, he comes out, it's shining. Why? That's what happens when you're with God. Something will happen to you. If I go outside on a hot summer day and I spend the whole day in the sun, it's not smart. I'm gonna get my face gonna get a bit red, I'm gonna have a sunburn. I'm not going to have to work it up. I, mean, I don't even want it, okay? But my face is going to get a little red because that's what happens in the sun. The sun has powerful rays. Physics, biology happen. My skin burns if I'm exposed to those rays for too long. Moses goes into the glorious presence of God who made the sun. And he goes into the presence of God, the glorious presence of God. And of course, if you're in the presence of God like that, the one who made the sun... I mean, he comes out, you're going to be a little glory burned, if I may just coin a new term, okay? The glory of God is going to rub off on him. It's just, it's not, he doesn't have to work it up. God doesn't have to do a weird miracle. That's just cause and effect. You go into the presence of God, his glory is going to do something to you. Now, I know some of you are thinking this is a little weird of a message because I've never seen someone come out of the prayer room with a glowing face, and I'm going to explain that to you in, in, in just a few moments. But first, I want to show you something else. We have, to, we have to rabbit trail here for just a bit because I need you to understand something about what's happening to Moses. Because this isn't the only place in the Bible where it talks about people shining. Okay? That happens actually in a few places in the Bible. We're going to examine this. We're going to come back to Moses and see what, what, like, why is Moses' face shining when he goes in the presence of God. Okay, I'll read you two passages, and I could show you other ones, but we're going to go to Daniel, and then we're going to go to Matthew. We're going to listen to Jesus, okay? But first, we'll go to Daniel, and because there's these other places where the Bible talks about people shining. Here's Daniel 12, verses 2 to 3. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So this is talking about the resurrection, right? So those who sleep in the dust are dead people. And they're gonna, we're going to awake someday, right? And that's the resurrection. Some to everlasting life. So some people will be resurrected and go to heaven. And some to shame and everlasting contempt. Some people will be resurrected and then they will be sent to hell. Now watch this, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars, forever and ever. So, uh, the righteous, when we are resurrected, we are actually going to shine. It says like the sky above, and that even almost seems to make a, a differentiation here of different kinds of shining. People who people who during this lifetime here on earth turn many other people to also live righteously, they're going to shine like the stars. There's going to be a shining quality to their bodies physically. Okay? And just in case you think that's a little weird, let's go to Jesus. This is in many places in the Bible. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, 43, speaking of what would happen after he came back and everybody gets resurrected, this is what he says. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So it's important enough to Jesus that he repeats it. And so after we get resurrected, our bodies are physically going to shine. And I don't know what that all entails, but there will be a shining to our bodies. And I'm sure there's many reasons for this. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, I mean one reason is probably just I mean when, our, when sin and death and sickness get taken out of our bodies. We don't even know. We would have nothing to compare it to. All we know, all of our bodies are stained by sickness and death and decay. And we can't even imagine a body. If you took sin and death and decay out of it, I bet you that body would look to us like it was glowing. The health, the vitality, the energy, the power in that body, that, that our resurrected bodies are going to be light years ahead of these bodies. They'll, they'll still be physical human bodies, but they'll be light years ahead because there's not going to be any sinner or decay. So in that sense, I think the bodies will glow, no question. But, but the main reason that we're going to glow is not just that we're going to be incredibly you know, vi- you know, vitality and life and health. The main reason we're going to glow is because we're going to be so much in the presence of God. It, it's like the moon, right? The moon doesn't have the ability to be bright in and of itself. By itself, the moon is just a hard, dead, cold rock. But I don't know about you, but if you've ever gone outside, I've, I've gone outside on certain nights when it's a clear night, especially in winter, Clear night, you can go out in the middle of the night on a, on a night when the moon is full and the moon will be so bright that I can actually see my own shadow outside the middle of the night. I don't need a flash it, I can see everything. It's clear. I was going to say clear as day. It's not quite that clear, but it's bright, okay? Um, and why is that? The moon isn't bright, but when the moon comes into the path of the sun's brilliance, the sun is so bright, And so brilliant that the moon, just being in that brilliance, just reflecting that light, now has the power to brighten up the earth's surface. And it's going to be the same. When we get our resurrected bodies and we go, we're going to spend so much time in the presence of Jesus. We're going to be filled by the spirit of Jesus. And his glory is going to be constantly reflecting off of us. And so we will literally, as Jesus says, we will shine like the sun. It will be, be bright. We'll have to have, you know, new eyes, better eyes, because otherwise we'd be blinded, right? But we're going we're gonna to shine, and not in a weird way. It'll be amazing. We will shine with God's light, okay? And you say, okay, now, now what does that have to do with Moses? Well, it, this is not random. The fact that Moses shone when he met with God, and the fact that we're going to shine when we're in the presence of God with the resurrected bodies, this is not random information in the Bible, It's not like we're going to shine in the future with God and then there's this other random thing where Moses shone and they have nothing to do with each other. They have everything to do with each other. We're going to shine with our resurrected bodies because we're going to shine reflecting God's glory. It'll just, his life will just be reflecting off of us and we will shine. Moses was getting a little taste of it thousands of years in advance. Because, now he wasn't getting the full thing because he was still in his sin-stained body. But when he would go into the presence of God, what he was getting was a little advanced taste of heaven. We're going to shine someday because we're going to be with God. Well, Moses said, why do I got to wait till then? He would go into the presence of God now, and guess what? He'd come out shining. He'd go into the presence of God now and a little bit of that same resurrection power and God is the source of all life that's going to make us glow someday for all of eternity. He would go in and advance and say, I want a little bit of that now. He'd go into the tent of meeting and he would meet with God and he would come out shining because some of that resurrection power had just touched him in his life. And some of that glory had just touched him in his life. And that, by the way, is his secret to how he got through 40 years. That's how he got through 40 years. He went through intense times of discouragement. It's not that he didn't feel discouragement. He felt intense times of discouragement. But here's the difference between him and us. See, as humans, we're all going to face stress. All of us. That's just human. We're all going to face times of intense workload. We're all going to face times of criticism and opposition. Okay? That, that, That doesn't make us different. We're all the same with Moses on that. In fact, he felt it more than we do. And pressure and criticism and workload and stress, they do the same thing to every human being. They did the same thing to Moses. They drain us. They kill us on the inside. And they did to Moses no less than us. It's not like when criticism hit him, he went, oh, I love that. Oh, I just love stress. Woo, God pile on the stress. No, when it hit him, he felt the same way as you and I do. Oh, I feel horrible. I have no life. I have no hope. I have no faith. And it it kills us. The thing that separates Moses from us is not that he didn't feel those things along with us. Oh, he, feel, he felt them just like us. He felt worse things than we feel because he went through worse. The difference between him and us is that many of us, when we get drained of the life, we stay down there and Moses would go into the presence of God. And he would go into the presence of God. And what would happen in the presence of God? He would get touched by that life, by that resurrection power, and by that glory, and that glory would transform him. He would go in, his face wouldn't be shining. He would come out and his face would be shining. And he was getting a little piece of heaven right here on earth in the tent meeting. What do you do with a battery if you have a, a laptop or something? Your battery is, is, is running low on juice. What do you do? You recharge it. And, it, and if you don't recharge it, it's just going to run dry. And by the way, a lot of us, we have a wrong idea about what recharges us. We think that a vacation will recharge us or a sabbatical will recharge us. That's like saying, if the battery on my laptop is running dry, I better just give it a rest. So I put it up on a shelf and leave it there to rest. And then two weeks later or six months later, hey, it had a sabbatical, I plug it in. Hey, there's still no power here. (laughs) The reason there's no power there, as we all know, is a rest doesn't recharge. A rest is just a rest. There's no life in that. Now, I'm not against vacations. I'm going in two weeks. I can hardly wait. See you later, okay? (laughs) Okay. Because I like rest and I like recharging. And you can recharge when you rest if you do it right. If you plug into God. But you don't get life from doing nothing. You get life from God. And he is the source of all life. And someday we're going to experience that life in our resurrected bodies and we're going to shine. But you can go and meet with him today and get a little advance payment. And when you were in the pressure and the crisis, this is how 40 years, Moses had many times, down in the depths, I want to die, into the tent of meeting, whoo, hope, faith, joy, strength, life again. And that's what he did. He would constantly recharge, 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 recharge. And that's why after 40 years of intense pressure, he comes out the other side and says he could have kept right on going. He could have kept right on going. Now, I know what some of you are thinking there. I want to finish with one last passage here because you're thinking to yourselves, again, because back to this question of, well, I've never seen anyone's face glow. So it must have been different for Moses. Obviously, Chris, this is sort of a one-time thing. Moses had something that we can't have because I've never seen someone's face shine uh, when they've been with God, okay? And, and you're right about that. I mean, when we go, when we go to prayer, you know, most times, at least I haven't seen it. Maybe it sometimes happens for grace fast. I don't know. Um, I could. But, uh, you know, most of us, we go and spend time with God. We don't come out face glowing. So it's true. There's something a little bit different about Moses. Uh, He physically, he physically got to go into the physical presence of God and that's why the physical glory of God would, it would, would interact with his physical body and his physical body would physically glow. We don't have that same opportunity today to go into the physical presence of God is true. And I'm not saying God never shows up physically. Uh, I'm I'm putting him in a box. But for the most part, we don't have that same opportunity. Moses had that opportunity to physically meet with God. He would come out, he would physically glow. We don't get to physically meet with him until Jesus comes back, and then we will physically glow too. And so you say, well, see, there's not much we can learn here. Actually, there is. The New Testament says, and I alluded to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 before I'm going to read it to finish this message. But according to the New Testament, we actually have it better than Moses. So you say, oh, he got to go to the tent of meeting and physically meet with God. Yeah, good for Moses, sweet. And we read the story, his face glowed, and then we think, oh, but it can't happen to us. Wrong. The New Testament explicitly teaches, I'm going to read you the passage in just a moment. There's other passages too, but the New Testament explicitly teaches That we have it better than Moses. It's not like we got to read the story of Moses and say, oh, I wish I could go in the presence of God and have my face glow. The New Testament says, don't envy Moses. He envies you. Because you have something he couldn't have yet. You have the spirit of Christ living inside you. And so what the New Testament says is, okay, Moses got to physically go into the physical presence of God, and then he would come out physically going. The New Testament says the Spirit of Christ now lives inside of you, which means that you can meet with Christ and be changed by his glory from the inside out. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to read you 11 verses, starting in verse 7. Now if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face. So Paul's preaching the same message. He's talking about Moses in Exodus 33 and 34. Could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have what? Even what? More glory. Not less. It's not, oh, I wish I could have been Moses. No. If the If the time period when he lived before Jesus, if he could experience that kind of glory in the presence of God, will not the ministry of the Spirit in your heart have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far, far, Paul says, and don't get, and don't think that it's like, here's Moses and maybe we have a little bit better. No, no. The ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, okay, When one turns to the Lord, I want you just to think about that for a second. When one turns to the Lord, this is about, you think, well, I call myself a Christian, so I've turned to the Lord. Calling yourself a Christian doesn't mean you've turned to the Lord. Turning to the Lord means doing what Moses did. Turn to the Lord. Go and be with the Lord. Turn to the Lord and say, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I just want to spend time with you and love you. But those who turn to the Lord, the veil is removed now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, no exceptions, not just the super spiritual people, we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being. Now, look at this. How many of you want to be transformed? How many of you, in your valleys, in your stresses, in your trials, I mean, we haven't, most I don't. I doubt there's many people here who've gone through 40 years of something like Moses had to go through. But how many of you, in whatever it is that you're going through, your trial, your thing that you're trying to persevere through, that's starting to break you down, that's starting to depress you and despair you and dry you out, how many of you would like to be transformed into the same image? To have your face glow, not physically yet, but from the inside out, to literally glow. To be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. In other words, there's no limit. I mean, Moses could just get a little touch. He went in a tent, his physical face would glow, he'd be recharged, he'd keep going, but he just got a little touch. We have the Spirit of Christ living in our hearts. Think about that. And if we will behold his glory, in other words, if we will go and spend time in our tent of meeting with him, and meditate on him through his word, and pray, and listen to him, and worship him, if we will spend time beholding and loving him, we can be transformed into his image with no limit, from one glory to another. You can just keep going deeper and deeper transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The only if in this passage, the only if in this passage is will you turn to the Lord and behold his glory. It's the only if. All, all he says in there who will turn to the Lord and will spend time beholding his glory, can be transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. Just like Moses, you and I can recharge directly into God. And every time that we do a bit of his resurrection power, the same resurrection power we're going to experience in full sometime in the future, you can get a little down payment right now. And you can go deeper and deeper and deeper into that and it will revive you and bring life to you in the midst of whatever you have. So that you can go through anything for decades on end and you can come out on the other side stronger than ever there's only one thing I want to challenge you with to end this message today. You need to set up a tent of meeting in your life. Do you have a place and a time where you meet with God? Not where you talk about it. I mean, how many of us call ourselves Christians and we go to church all the time, we know all about God. How many of us actually met with God this past week? Not just, you know, a little five-minute thing as you we went to work, how many of us, Moses went out to the tent to meeting. He would go out and he would have a meeting with God. How many of us met with God this past week? If you don't do it, you're going to be nothing but a dead battery. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I pray right now, God, that as we're praying, Lord, I pray that each person here would think of a time and a place. A time and a place. Is it going to be the basement Is it going to be the bedroom? Is it going to be the deck? But that we're going to set up a tent of meeting in our lives, Lord, where where we can come in contact with your glory and be transformed into your image. Father, that is the answer. There's no, there is nothing else. This is what your Bible says over and over and over again. If we will come into your presence, we will be transformed. I pray, Lord, that we will become a church of spiritually mature people.